AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Someone had told me a month ago I'd end up in a jail cell after my best friend pulled a gun on me and admitted she had caused my sister's demise. I would have laughed my ass off. It would have been too crazy, even for fiction. But now that I'm currently living that exact reality, there's not one amusing thing about it. Owen said it best. There is a sad kind of irony about me being on the other side of the law. Trespassing is a misdemeanor at the very least, felony at the worst. I'll be lucky if I ever pass another security clearance. What was I thinking? In my mind, I keep rewinding that last scene of the train station. Poppins picking up the gun and pointing it at Officer Corey, who then shot him first. The bullet went right through his shoulder, but Poppins cried and screamed so much I thought he was dying. Eventually, Corey's backup arrived and a paramedic came to pick up Poppins. All three of us were arrested. The weirdest part was the fact that nobody could find the gun Poppins had pointed at. It's her, my so-called friend. They took her out of the cell hours ago and now she's back. How can she keep that smug look on her face when it's so clear we're all unbelievably screwed? Are you still gonna ignore me even in this tiny cell? We have nothing to talk about. 
Poppins is okay, in case you were wondering. That's supposed to be funny? He's an idiot who almost got us all killed. I hate to tell you this, but you did not pass the test. Good, your little anarchy club sucks. Maybe you should keep your voice down. You think any of these zombies here are listening? When did you become like this? Like what? You're like a cross between an HOA manager and a librarian. Hard to believe you and Savannah are even related. Don't talk about Savannah after what you did. Savannah was not some helpless victim to be manipulated. She was a grown-ass woman with strong beliefs. Give her some credit. At least she tried to use her light skin privilege for good, not evil. Sure, make it about colorism now. So when did you become like this? Me? <laughs> I've been the same from day one, baby. Oh, you've changed. You used to be just a normal, opinionated, Afrocentric, say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud Berkeley grad, and now you're like the ringleader of random white people doing fucked up shit. Would you please stop talking so loud? You quiet down, like... How do you even have the nerve to say something so stupid? You really have no clue how fucked up the institutions you take for granted are. As if wearing a shiny badge makes you immune from being capable of outright terrorism. This isn't just about allyship or BLM or forcing the masses to recognize white privilege. Not anymore. So to answer your stupid question, let me ask you a question. All right, go. When you were in the FBI, assuming you're no longer in the FBI, did they tell you how many black people could congregate together before they were considered a domestic threat? Oh, come on. I'm serious. Was it five, 10, 40? With that logic, the FBI would consider every black church a terrorist organization. Fair point. But let's face it, turning the other cheek isn't really conducive to the pursuit of justice. So what's your point? That the FBI is a racist organization? It's a little more subtle than that, and you know it. The FBI is a fear-based organization. Fear of black retribution. So it's safer for me to identify as an anarchist than a black nationalist. I'm less likely to be investigated by your people when I surround myself with various types of people. It confuses them when they can't categorize a person based on their race. Agents at the FBI follow their noses. There's no conspiracy or bias based on race. White supremacist groups receive the same treatment. January 6, 2021. Guard! If I didn't know what a conniving bitch you are, your naivete would almost be cute. And if I didn't know what a budding baby terrorist you are, I'd say your anger would almost be justified. I told you Corey was a white supremacist. Stopping these people was a priority. How is it that he's been able to infiltrate a major police department in an urban city? You can't stop every single bad guy out there. The information we have on him is not hard to find. We found out pretty easily and we're not professionals with training and background checks. Not hard to trace someone's social media, associates, and background. It's not fair, I get it. The system isn't perfect. Right. Let me out of here, I ain't do shit. That's the problem. We give these institutions the benefit of the doubt, yet we don't extend the same courtesy to our imperfect citizens, who are the products of the imperfect system. Eula Rhodes? Yes? Come on. You're out. What? But... Let's go. Go on. By the way, you're welcome. You know, if your current gig doesn't work out, you ought to see if there's an opening at Quantico. I'll take that as a compliment. Just this once. Come on. Needless to say, my days of freelance looting are over. I don't know how Rebecca managed to pull this off, but I am so over these surprises. Is she taking the fall? What about Owen? All right, here are your belongings. 
need you to sign these forms and you're out. I'm not being charged with anything? Not that I know of. What about the cop who arrested us? Look, you're not being charged. How about you let that be enough? Sign here. (coughs) Grandma, what are you doing here? What do you think I'm doing here, girl? Let's go. I have no desire to stand around here. My grandmother's the last person I want to see right now. After everything she's been through with Savannah, she shouldn't have to worry about me, too. Hey! Stay out of trouble. Fucking lazy ass. Now, there wasn't anything close by. I parked a couple of blocks away. Took me 20 minutes to find a spot. Downtown Oakland isn't what it used to be. Sorry. Yeah, you must be. I'd be sorry too if I were you. Real sorry. I had no idea. First, you come home with a dented car, and now I'm picking you up from the police station? Are you smoking weed again? Rebecca, she's... No, no, you don't. Don't even think about bringing Rebecca into this. Beulah, you are not 14, and you can't excuse yourself by blaming your friend. You don't understand she's the reason Savannah isn't here. That may be. But Savannah bears the ultimate responsibility for her own actions, just like you do. This is more than just Savannah. Rebecca is involved in some deep, crazy stuff. Like what? Well, I'm not exactly sure, but it involves the police and the fires and Antifa or anarchy. They're very vague about what it is they do. Rebecca is paying the bill for in-home care. She raised the money for your sister. That doesn't sound like anarchy to me. That's true, and I'm starting to suspect she might be a sociopath. Don't know why you think this is a joke. You're messing with your future here. No one is taking this more seriously than I am, Graham. This isn't what I expected to happen when I came back here. You're not helping me or yourself by staying in Oakland. Certainly not helping Savannah. I think you should go back to the academy. Grant, I can't. It doesn't work that way. They'll understand. Just explain everything to them. No. Well, you can't stay here. It's a bad influence on you. And these days, the only people who stay in Oakland are people who aren't really from here or people who are trapped here karmically. Grandma's family is Louisiana Creole, and she's always carried superstitious notions with her. Growing up, it drove me crazy because she was usually right. I guess I'm stuck here then. So you're content to be the shadow of a ghost. Is that what you think of Savannah? A ghost? She's not coming back, Beulah. People wake out of comas all the time. Sure, it's rare, but I think it could be possible. It's not. Statistically speaking, it isn't possible. Since when do you care about statistics? What about faith? Beulah, it's common sense. Savannah asked me not to tell anyone, but Grandma should know. She deserves to know. She did. She did wake up. It's impossible. It... It was only for a little while she came to, and she told me everything. I have no doubt that you spoke to her, but she did not tell you anything. She did. No. No. I heard you that day in her room. Beulah wasn't nobody in there talking but you. What? Grandma, she told me how Rebecca was behind everything. Maybe you wanted to believe it so bad that, I don't know, you hallucinated? I'm not crazy. I didn't say that. Sometimes, even I think I can hear her. But we've got to be realistic. Since when has anyone accused me of being unrealistic? Please, go live your life. 
You've been here less than three weeks and you're already in trouble. I have this awful feeling that if you stay, something bad is going to happen to you. I just can't lose you both. Not like this. Fine. I'll think about it. Maybe I can make some calls, see if they'll take me in next year's class. Honestly, I don't mind being back in Oakland, despite the drama with Rebecca. I know Grant thinks it's a step down, but being close to Savannah is the only thing that feels right at this point in my life. But deep down, I also know she's right. Being here as an adult has been an out-of-body experience. Bueller, get in the car. What are you looking at? I'm sorry. Just deep in thought. You ever listen to Rebecca's show? No. Not my thing. I do, from time to time. Sometimes Savannah would go on, and I'd tune in. A lot of the stuff they talked about, I didn't understand. In retrospect, I think I probably should have asked more questions, listened a little closer. Anyway, I say this because I feel if you took a listen to one episode in particular, maybe you'd understand your sister a little better. And you'd see that her actions were truly her own. No one, not even Rebecca, had to convince her to be who she was. I don't have the energy to extend any compassion to Rebecca. I really don't. The healing process starts with you accepting reality and forgiving yourself. That has nothing to do with Rebecca. Whatever you say, Grandma. Hello? Hey, it's Owen. We got to go get that gun. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. 
we went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Unless we do something about that cadre of young people, tens of thousands of them, born out of wedlock, without parents, without supervision, without any structure, without any conscience developing because they literally have not been socialized. They literally have not had an opportunity. We should focus on them now, not out of a liberal instinct for love, brother, and humanity, although I think that's a good instinct, but for simple, pragmatic reasons. If we don't, they will, or a portion of them will, become the predators 15 years from now. And we have predators on our streets that society has, in fact, in part because of its neglect, created. Again, it does not mean because we created them that we somehow forgive them or do not take them out of society to protect my family and yours from them. They are beyond the pale, many of those people. Beyond the pale. And it's a sad commentary on society. We have no choice but to take them out of society. Liberation Radio presents a conversation with former Black Panther leader, activist, and author of The Condemnation of Lil B, Elaine Brown. Hosted by Rebecca and Savannah. Now who's coming up? It's me again with now, someone new. Your name new. is Rebecca, not I'm Savannah. Just Savannah. Hi. You're Savannah. Nice to yeah. meet you. And you're related to the FBI, FBI woman who wants to be in the FBI. Mm-hmm. Rebecca mm-hmm. and Savannah. Savannah, yes. yeah. <laughs> so go ahead now. So welcome, Elaine. Again, mm-hmm. thank you so much for coming on our show and speaking with us. We really appreciate it, of course. Um, we it's off- an honor. Yes. We often hear horror stories about incarcerated black men and women who have been wrongfully convicted of crimes they didn't commit. Mm -hmm. Michael Lewis, a.k.a. Lil B, was just 13 years old when he was in prison for a murder he didn't do. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that story and how someone like Michael fell through the cracks of the system? Right. Well, and, and I thank you for that question. But let's, first of all, not pretend that the system has a safety net for anybody especially any black boys. So he didn't fall through any cracks. It was a hole waiting for him to just walk over it. And it was the entire black community of Atlanta. And I want to just give a quick background. So when Michael was eight, as he told me, as I came to know him, his house had become the crack house. I said, what do you mean? And he said, you know, everybody was in there smoking crack, including his mother. And as he said later on, my mother smoked up the water. Smoked up wow. the water, meaning the water got turned off because she needed to put that money in that pipe, right? So no, not no, not no hot water, no water. So at eight years old, he was the guardian of himself and his five-year-old sister, and they would have to go to school to get food. And so he would get her dressed, comb her hair, whatever. I said, where, well, were there a lot of people? I mean, it was a crack house. What do you mean? 
No, it wasn't that many people. It was just, this how he talked. It was probably, I said, well, how many people is not that many people? Oh, no more than about 12. 12 people are sleeping in the place where you live that are all smoking crack while you're a little kid at eight years old. How did you, I wash, I know how to wash my own clothes. I used to go up to, to Bankhead and go take a, get the buggy and go up to Bankhead and I get, well, how'd you get money? Well, I got it from my older brothers and then he'd sell a little dope for them or whatever, eight or, you know, run a package somewhere. You understand what I mean? Because that was a very, very hope. Very big dope area. There was a movie, a, a document, really, you could call it a documentary, uh, called Snow in the Bluffs. It said Bluffs, but it was called The Bluff, no S. And that was one of the heaviest drug areas of Atlanta. And really, it was in the pipeline coming up from Miami. Uh, and as just a drug center, it was just unbelievable. And so as he got older, um, the court, he went to court several times through the school and he went to court because in the, in the, under the Georgia law, a juvenile child that is being uh, mistreated or something, you don't go take the mother or the parent to court for a violation. You take the child to the juvenile court to say whether or not the child is deprived. So he was given deprivation hearings several times, and ultimately the state removed him from the home as if there were a home. Oh, that's and he went into foster care. And it was very bad, so he ran away. They, captu- they captured him, as he thought of it, meaning the foster care defects, uh, Department of Family and Children's Services. Uh, they took him, then they arranged to get him into another foster mm-hmm. home, a woman and her husband that his mother knew, so you already noticed some danger in that. Uh, and he not only did the man uh, beat him, uh, as he said, with his fist, and he was 10 at this time, but the woman, the mother, oh. molested him oh my God. at 10 years old. Now, at that point, he ran away from everything to what he knew, oh God, which was horrible. his brother de- dealing dope on the streets of the bluff. So he started dealing dope to survive. Now, imagine yourself trying to survive at 11 years old on the street. One place he slept was, uh, he said, I could always find some place to sleep. I was never homeless. No, homeless is you don't have a home. It's not you in an encampment. You just don't have anywhere to live. You're sleeping on somebody's couch. You're sleeping in a garage. You don't have a key to a place where you put your things up, you know, and you have a little meal you can cook. You were homeless. Right. And one of the places where he slept was in the elevator of what would be the mm-hmm. Bart or Marta station in Atlanta, a Marta, you know, metropolitan Atlanta transit, so forth, rapid transit. So he would lock the elevator in between floors what? after every, after the you know train stopped running. And sleep there because it, it was safe to be there. And that's wow. Okay. And you were 12. And at 13, um, some guy was killed in front of this store in the heart of the bluff, a store that nobody would have gone to. First of all, you would have never found it, but you de- definitely wouldn't have any reason to go into it because it was one of those stores. It was a Korean that owned it. But all outside, dope being sold here because in the bluff, you could buy everything from co- crack cocaine, powder cocaine, ecstasy, weed, uh, you name it. Just depending on what you need. They had enough people out there selling. And it was so open that you didn't, you didn't have to ask a question. So everybody from the Atlanta University Center, like Spelman, Morehouse, uh, um, and uh, whatever the other ones are that I can't suddenly think of, all those college kids would go over to the bluff because it was very close mm-hmm. and get some weed, get some coke. It was open. That, nothing was going to happen to you in the bluff <laughs> if you're buying. Everybody wants you to be happy. White boys coming down from Buckhead, co- white college students at Georgia Tech, everybody knew you could roll through the bluff and get some goddamn dope. And there wasn't anything that you couldn't get. And if you had some new stuff that they hadn't heard of, like when Ecstasy came out, 
They're going to accommodate your need. They were selling like you can't believe. And the only other people that were out on the streets of the bluff were the crackheads. So at some point, this man and woman roll up to this little store that you know Mm -hmm. can't be selling anything at all. You know, maybe fake hair in a package, maybe some some old milk, just nothing. And the wife says she gets out of the car, go get some soda, and comes back, doesn't have enough money, and goes back to pay for the soda. Here's gunshot, and the husband has been shot through the window. (gasps) He's in the passenger seat and blasted through the window and killed. Now, that's the story they tell that little B, this 13-year-old boy, who was not even five feet tall at the time, because a lot of these children that are born in these neighborhoods, they were really malnourished, like like T.I. They're all little, believe it or not. It's a really strange, I mean, this is my observation. This has not been a scientific study, (laughs) but my observation. Anyway, he gets charged with the murder, and it's not like he got charged. It was a week later. And they had a big picture of him on the front page. Of the page. Wait, I thought you didn't show juveniles' faces. What happened to that part? And they said, this thug, in quotes, because you can That's use disgusting. yellow journalism when you quote. When you, so in other words, it's not me saying he's a thug. Pardon me. It's, the, I'm quoting Lieutenant Hoobie Boo, <sighs> right? right? Uh, this thug is charged with, uh-huh. but you barely see the charge with, murdering a good black father. So now we have the setup on the black community. And the setup is there's this bad black, this super predator, as Hillary Clinton popularized it. Um, These bad boys are messing up our community. We would be free, matter of fact, if it wasn't for them. We would have gold, we would have homes, and we would have everything we need but for these little niggas that are messing up on these gangster rappers, all this sagging and all this gangster rapping and all this wearing a grill, selling dope. These are the problems of our community. Why don't you get a good job at the post office, driving a UPS truck or something like this, and be a family man and take care of your family? That was the Bill Clinton message that pushed through the 1994 Three Strikes Crime Bill. And what that crime bill did with the big support of the Congressional Black Caucus, as led at that time by Kwasi Fume. What that crime bill did was, in addition to giving this so-called third strike and all these heavy-duty draconian mandatory sentences, what it also did was it said, we're going to try children for certain crimes, you know, like seven deadly sins, seven deadly crimes. So if a child is charged with murder, assault, rape, arson, child molesting something, and uh, robbery, armed robbery, all of these seven crimes, they can be and probably will be tried as adults. Now, what does that mean? That means that if you went to a juvenile court, I would look at you, I'd be the judge, I'm your juvenile judge, and I'd say, okay, well, let's see, is this person, what happened? This person lived in a bad neighborhood, they were influenced, they got raped at home, so maybe that's why they did this, you know what I mean? And I would consider the elements of what you did, but I would not be putting you in prison for life under any circumstances, and I would certainly not be putting you in prison for life with adults. Exactly. You would go to a juvenile facility, and you might do three years, right. and then we can rehabilitate you because we know that children act not only impulsively, but they have no sense of consequence. A 13-year-old boy, even if he had killed this man, which he did not, one of the dope oh, boys did it, and they ended up all agreeing to let him take the rap. And he was so used to taking the dope when the police, the few little times the police would allegedly come by, they just handed off the little, just give it to little B. You know, he'll handle it. And he was so tough. Because he had to be. Oh, my God. So in the juvenile court, that right. would be what happens. In an adult court, you're going to get a jury. And we're going to judge you according to the crime. And you're going to get 
the same time mm. and same situations as an adult would get. Nothing's going to be considered about your juvenile history and who you are and how to balance all of this. There's be no understanding of rehabilitation Which that a child can even have doesn't even have the brain development, much less anything else, to form intent for crime. Crime is harm that is done exactly. with intent. That's the fundamental definition of crime, right? Under the law. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. we know it's intent because you pulled the trigger. Mm-hmm. So the point I'm making is here's this boy who's the first one in Fulton County to be tried as an adult. And the Fulton County DA had just been elected first black DA in the state of Georgia who decided he was going to show black and white people that he will do for Massa what Massa won't do for him. So I'm going to lock these little niggas up. I'm going to tell you that right now. This is the first one that's going to go down and made a name for himself as a prosecutor of young boys, mostly black. 80% of those in Fulton County that went down as adults. Now, you could say, well... If, if they were charged with murder, people were like, you did big boy crime, you're going to do big boy time. That was a slogan that Pete Wilson, the former governor of California, came up with. He was a big advocate of charging these little black boys because nobody thought of white boys as criminals. Crime in America has a color. It's right. black. We ain't right, have no exactly. mental health discussion on no little B. He's a thug, a super predator, and we don't want him in life. We don't want him in our lives. We just want to put him away. So at that same time, Michael was being demonized every day for a month in the Atlanta Journal (laughs) Constitution. And the black journalists were the main ones demonizing. It was nowhere for him to go once the trial started. So I got involved because I was crying. How can our people do this to this boy? He hasn't even been tried. You've you've convicted him of everything. And the woman had a miscarriage. So because she claimed she was traumatized, the whole story was so fake, it was pathetic. And so now he's put on trial. You've got at least seven blacks on the jury. You've got a black DA, ADA, assistant district attorney, arguing the case. You've got four dope boys coming on the stand saying, well, yeah, I saw a little B, D, D. you got two crackheads coming on the stand, both of whom were high on the stand. Oh, don't let that bother you. And they created this fiction that Michael went up to the car and said, cut your lights to the, to the husband. Now, we don't realize in the beginning that the husband is actually in the passenger seat. And according to the fiction that they created, although there was no one actually testifying to this, the guy goes, no, I'm not doing nothing. You tell me whatever smart remark. And then mm-hmm. Michael goes off, goes around the corner, comes back with a big long gun. The gun was three feet, five inches. Michael was four feet, 11. I don't know how he fired that gun, but okay. Let's not get, oh let's God. not let science or facts get in our way, Okay. And fires blast through the window. Windows open, now closed. No windows uh, up, and the and the window is tinted, and it's night. And you get the main witness, Big E, one of the main dope boys, oh had just God. been arrested in November. The killing was in January for a possession to sell 151 hits of heroin. Oh. Now you're facing 40 years to life in a federal penitentiary on that one. What did ha- what, what happened when Little B when Big E testified against Little B? Wow. He did six months in a state prison and was released on probation, parole, some, some oddball arrangement, because he had already made an arrangement during the time that, between the time that Michael was arrested. We, know, we pretty much know who did it, but it wasn't Michael. But mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. At 14, by this time he turned 14, he was convicted in November of 97. The murder occurred in January. Convicted in November, 14? and in December, he was in an adult prison. He was not even five feet tall yet, and he didn't weigh very much. But because he was tough enough, 
I think, is the only reason he was able to navigate mm-hmm. the horror wow. of the prison system. What was the horror there? These little boys, some of them thought they were halfway tough. You know, they were on the street, yada, yada, it's the disgusting. poor black boys. And they thought they were tough, but they hadn't run into the poor black guy who's now grown up in prison doing quadruple life, pumping iron with one hand, you know what I mean? That kind of thing. Right. He's going to rape you. I can tell you that right now. He's not going to get out. There ain't going to be no woman. You're starting to look oh like Beyonce, God. Diana Ross, or somebody like that. You a little boy, it's an easy target. So many young boys were <gasps> raped in that Ooh. prison during the time that Michael was there. The horror of the first place where he went, oh God, Alto, in a place was called Lee Arendale State Prison in a little town called Alto, Georgia. All around, surrounded by nothing but white trailer parks, uh-huh. I'll say. <laughs> So I won't be, so I'll be somewhat politically correct. You ain't going nowhere. And half the guards live around there, right? Because that's how these little towns survive. They don't have any money, mm-hmm. but the prison is going to bring them a lot of money. Bring them visitors. They put up a little restaurant. All that stuff happens, right? Right. People even move into the area if their son is going to be there for a while, but you never know how long they might be there. But Michael was there almost four years. And in those four years, what did he see from 14 to 18? I don't even know because he, I don't think he can speak about it even now because the conditions are so unspeakable and barbaric. Oh my God. And it's only natural. It's like if you put people in a sewer, we're going to start behaving like sewer rats. It's not going to be complicated, you know? But that's what, part of what the prison exactly. is crowded. Not overcrowded, right. it's just crowded intrinsically. You don't have any privacy. You're going to do whatever the guards tell you to do. And, and if they don't like you, they're going to tell you to do stuff that you know you oh. can't do. Then you're going to go to the hole. My boy was in the hole. In those first couple of years, he was in the hole like once every other month because wow. he was always going to tell the guard, fuck you, nigga. You know, that's how it is. I'm not going to take shit. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> you got to stand for something. That's the other part. Wrap it up, Lewis. Go to the hole. And there was Michael reached the point and right. said, pack it up yourself, bitch. I'll see you at the hole. <laughs> so that's how you get. So here's my boy. He's in the joint. I, I started seeing him in the first month. I would say like in January, and I had written these articles. And after by, I would say in a couple of months, he had adopted me. He wrote me a letter mm-hmm. and said, dear mom. So suddenly I went from being his advocate as such to his mm-hmm. mother. And I've been his mother in his mind because he can be proud. Wow. I give him a lot. His books are always cool, but he has survived. And that was the one thing I told him he had to do. I don't know how you're going to survive. I don't know. But you're going to have to figure it out. And no one is coming to get you. And you have nowhere to run. And he has. He's done his part. I haven't done my part. My part was to get him out. I have done everything that I know how to do. And I'm a bad bitch. And so I've really worked hard for him for 24 years. And so the bottom line, though, is that he's still in prison. He's been denied parole three times. And the black uh, guy that uh, prosecuted him, the the DA himself, uh, when Michael was convicted, he said... He has to do 14 years on that. That was the mandatory sentence for um, murder at that time. And uh, is now 30 years. 14 years? Mandatory minimum years. Can you believe Man, that? That's a long time. 30, 30 years minimum. So he, the DA, said he'll when he finishes 14 years, I'll be at the oh parole board to make sure he does 14 more. <laughs> and he's now done 24 years. Oh, my God. We certainly never imagined it. I thought he'd be out. I'm like, I'm bad. This I can go out here. Up. I'll find support. And nobody believes this story. People think I'm some kind of idiot that he really did kill this man. That's the shame of it. And so he's been in prison more than half his life now. 
He's grown up in prison. He has never known a life. I don't even know how he's going to make it out here, but I have everything ready. So we presented to the parole board and we've shown that I have housing for him in, in Oakland and in Atlanta. I've got a job for him in Oakland and Atlanta. I've got education for him in Oakland and Atlanta. I've got a, Mental health care, so they know that we're going to think about mm-hmm. that in Oakland and Atlanta. And he hasn't had any write-ups or anything. He spent six mm-hmm. years, six years in total isolation for an accusation of being a gang leader. And one of those years, years, he was in such total isolation, 24-hour lockdown. Now, normally, what? or according to most rules, everybody's entitled to one hour outside. But wow. it beats being in a cell all day long. He spent one year without that, even though it was totally illegal. Not that that would matter, because illegal is not relevant here. Uh, The whole thing is is immoral, much less illegal. And he spent one year where he had no books. They took away his books, his paper, no radio, no visits, no telephone calls, nothing. Can you imagine? What? 24-hour lockdown. I don't know how he survived it. No. I I honestly don't know. And I told him, I said, you're a hero. I don't know how you did it. Oh, my God. And I just weep. But I can't weep. I had to do something. It's not good enough. So that's that's where we are now. And we think we have the grounds for a new trial. But he did not have a hearing on competence. And everybody's supposed to have a competency hearing to say whether or not you're competent to stay in trial. And because he didn't have that, and he was 13. And then we have like all kinds right. of backup on what that would mean. 13 year old, what they understand, what they don't, what the psychology, all of that, that he should have so had a competency. Wrong. Then there was the second issue we have is that the the, um, the Supreme Court of the United States, uh, in a case called Miller, I want to say 2013, stated that um, sentencing children to prison for life without parole is a violation of the Eighth Amendment uh, for against um, cruel and unusual punishment. So that was like very big. But Michael wasn't sentenced to right. life without parole. So we're trying to argue that it effectively is life without parole or should be applicable to his case because he's been denied three times on the same ground. And that ground is nature of the crime. Well, when is that going to change? Wow. So you could be denying him until he's 90 years old. So it's effectively life without parole. Um, And so we're arguing that case. And then we're arguing uh, that, you know, there is newly discovered evidence of a witness. These people didn't even come for it. I mean, the doggishness of the dope dealers that, that got up on the stand. All of this is systemic. Like we decided, we made a political decision to identify these young black boys as super predators. Of course it Just is. Just fake science saying that, you know, uh, these black boys who were criminals are getting younger and younger. This was a guy named John Diulio with a guy named William Bennett. And they wrote a, they actually wrote a paper mm-hmm. called mm-hmm. My Black Crime Problem and Yours. And they invented this word, super predator. And then Hillary Clinton, with her trifling ass, picked that up and popularized it to the point where even today people oh prefer to people as super predators. So my boy, as I call him, even though he is 37 years old, about to be 38, so has horrible. suffered the brunt of every single element uh-huh. of the racism and capitalism and corruption and violence of this entire country. He is literally you know, the prototype for everything that could go wrong. Your mother was on crack, you know. Crack had descended on the black community thanks to the CIA. So So forth and so on. So every single piece of his life, probably even in the womb, was would would have led us to a boy being left in prison for life. 
There was no chance for him to escape some sentence like that. And then he said to me, you know, I'd probably oh God, be dead anyway so if I were on the street, which is probably true. Mm-hmm. Wow. It seems like nothing ever changes, you know. Um, we march, we protest, you know, we burn stuff down. And what do we get? We get a mural, a trending hashtag on Twitter. No meaningful <laughs> policies get implemented and cops don't change their behavior. So where do we go from here, in your opinion? Um, as you say, we march, we protest, we uh we become social media activists. <laughs> what the hell is that? Back in the day, we called them armchair right. revolutionaries. Um, and worse, but I'll just leave it at that. Um, and we do nothing in terms of real, real change. Uh, but there, you know, the question is, what is real change? And how can we make, bring about real change? What does that mean? And it's a long process. It's a 400-some-year-old right. country. So we can't just, like... Oh, I'm gonna click my uh, click my fingers together exactly. when I just said heels, and hey, it'll go away. And many times in the Black Panther Party, mm-hmm. we used to say revolution in our lifetime, revolution in our lifetime. Stokely Carmichael, then who became Kwame Ture, Black Panthers. We all said revolution because we really believed that now that we knew <laughs> what was wrong, we would fight and everything would change, and somehow it would change. But that even though we had an incorrect analysis, right. it probably motivated us to do more then just sit around and do nothing. The example of the Black Panther Party, I think, is relevant, Mm -hmm. not because I'm promoting and being self-promoting even, but because I think that the actions that we put into place driven by a revolutionary ideology. We were Marxist-Leninists. We were Marxists, the Black Panther Party. Now, nobody realizes that, or a lot of people don't. They thought we were some kind of nationalist uh, or some kind of, you know, like anti-white, whatever that is. We were not anti-anything. We were pro-black. We love. We said, as, right. as quoting Che Guevara, true revolutionaries guided by great feelings of love. So we love black people, so we want to see mm-hmm. bring about black liberation. But we recognize that we have to create the conditions for that to happen. So what did we do? We did any number of things to organize mm-hmm. our own people and to begin to create the conditions to educate people so that we could create a mass of people that would embrace revolutionary principles and ultimately bring about the revolution. Remember, there was no blueprint. This is the most powerful country in the world. Matter of fact, the most Absolutely. powerful country in the history of the world. It is indeed an empire. Mm-hmm. It is not a, uh, a country. And everything that's here in the world is a subject of this empire, including China, bad as it is. Right? What are the Chinese going to do if the Americans start talking really crazy? Mm-hmm. Nothing. So... What do we do is to say, is there a blueprint for, un, for, for, for revolution? Well, there isn't. Well, I'm going to be in a march and some shit is going to change. Really? Let's live in the big real world here. Now, it's so big, we can't say, well, let's just go storm, uh, you know, something and take it over. You're not going to take over anything in a one moment event. This is not exactly. going to be an event. You're going to have to move and organize. Right. And it's a long haul. But this was a long march in the first place, going back to the slaves who jumped overboard, who slid. Listen, they used to have in all the slave ships, they began to build protections mm-hmm. around the captain and everything else because they might get their throat slit. These people weren't on the boat just saying, okie dokie. Once they got the drill and after you see so many ships come and not come back with your folks, you recognize <laughs> no. what's getting ready to happen to you, right? As a slave, an African, uh, with all the so-called castles, which I find 
incredible, which the Europeans built because they weren't going into the bush to pick up no good, strong young men and women uh, who could bring them babies and, and bend their backs for whatever they had to do. It's hard to talk about sometimes, isn't it? Yeah. You've got a 400-year-plus yeah. history of America doing violent, murderous acts, uh, brutal, almost, there's almost no word that can explain the uh, sins of America from the beginning, Mm -mm. from the beginning. Now, you can't just undo that by saying, well, we're going to march and uh, we put out some social media hashtags. (laughs) You know, are you kidding? So the question is, what do we do? Well, the first thing we have to do is make a commitment to change. Yeah. You can't be casual about it. Let me go home. But you get my point. Survival. Survival, yeah. Right. So we have to make a decision. Is this action a valid action? It may lead to organizing people or educating people. So it may be worth something. In other words, you put some placards out there. You put some social media posts out there. And you get the attention of people that like the George Floyd thing. Now, that probably had a consciousness-raising Thing. Now, what do you do with that? We don't know. That For that oh, one man. minute, in the universe of time, we all learn that the police can be brutal. So I'm working on reopening the case of Oscar Grant, who was murdered here in, in Oakland by the BART police, BART being Bay Area Rapid Transit. Mm-hmm. And there was a second cop who literally beat uh, Oscar up and caused him to have brain injury and everything else. So we just got a copy, meaning the world, of the autopsy. Oh, my God. Think about it for a minute. We just got information that uh, Peroni did this and this and the other from a report that was done and was never published. And it took a, 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 um, a news organization to force that wow. report to be published. So that's a good action. In other words, even the news group is getting information uh-huh. so that the public can have it so that we can become conscious All of these things are important, but they can't be done in isolation. That's why we had a newspaper, the Black Panther Party. We had a school of our own. We fed people. We did. We covered all of these things because they have to work in concert. So that's a part of what we can be doing is Mm -hmm. really focusing. But we got to you got to put time into this. And if you don't put time into it, then you won't get anything. This is a solid structure. It is not going to be disrupted. Joe Biden is not disrupted. He just got rid of oh, a, a, a real a real nagging pain in the ass. But you've got to educate yourselves. If you want to address this system, <laughs> you can't look at TV and think George Floyd is the problem. He's emblematic of the problem. And you have to know what the problem is. So we have to study, we have right. to organize, and we have to have the will and the commitment to make change. So, Elaine, we're out of time, but I just wanted to ask one last question. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll try to be brief. (laughs) (laughs) So I know that this Mm -hmm. is a forever fight and uh, well, it feels that way for certain. Um, I just want to know, how do you keep hope? And do you think that there are any people in the right, the proper positions to actually create permanent change? Well, I'm, I'm always going to be hopeful because if I didn't have hope and I became cynical, then what will be the point of anything? What will be the point of my life? I do believe, because evidence supports what I believe, right. that human beings 
lean toward being what we would call moral, caring about each other, only because we don't have no goddamn choice. And one of the things this pandemic is showing is that the most people really <laughs> do want to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. So I have hope because I see that. But as the divide uh, gets bigger, and it is getting bigger, ironic, incredibly, so that the top 1% are so goddamn rich and the others, then you're going to get the people who skim off a little bit of cream and they're all right with that. But the majority of people are getting poorer while the rich get richer, as the old statement used to say. And I believe that, therefore, the conditions can be ripe again to resurrect a real movement. I don't know that they're right right now. Right, right now. People are angry. People are angry. They don't have housing. That's a big one. They don't have, you know, anything. They're yeah. angry about those two issues, housing and police brutality. They don't know what to do. And that's because there's no organization to make it real that you can glom onto. That's why people still talk about the Black Panther Party. And here we are. I'm... I already told you that Black Panther Party hasn't existed since 1981. And yet we're still held up as a model for what mm-hmm. we could do, should do. You got all these ridiculous movies out. I don't want to talk about them uh, and other stuff. But the point is, I have hope <laughs> that what I've committed my life to is meaningful. Not because it's my life, because at the end of the day, this was a ride. It was it was a crapshoot the whole way. I want to know that every day I put in work. Even mm-hmm. at this stage, even if it doesn't even matter that much, I put in that work because I believe in what I'm saying. And so I have to have hope that um, change will come and that somewhere in the universe. The other part is it's either going to come or there won't be any Earth. So it doesn't really matter. But it can't go on like this because we are, have the capacity to kill each other and wipe each other out wholly and completely environmental problems may kill us before a bomb. So what is my hope? My hope is that the people of the world at some point, bit by bit, will begin to see each other as human beings on this planet, that we are part of the planet. We don't even know what's out there yet. So I believe that conditions Mm -hmm. will be right. And as my friend uh, Jamil Alamin, Jamil Abdullah Alamin, who used to be H.R.A.P. Brown when SNCC was around and very very powerful speaker, very powerful organizer, committed to the struggle, still in prison after 20 years now. Wow. As he said to me, you know, sister, I know this, that the pendulum will swing our way again because life is like that. Life is not static. And when it does, you'll be ready. So even if the conditions aren't there, you stay on keeping on, keep keep on keeping on. And you will find that there'll be a new set of conditions. And if not, then I gave it my best. And that's, I gave it my all, not my best, my all. I gave everything I had. So if, uh, if I pass out of this life before some new thing happens or some bigger change element occurs or conditions change, I'll be all right with it. Mm-hmm. I'll be all right because I know that life will continue itself. It either will continue itself or we'll all perish. And that'll be the end of that. Amazing. Thank you so much, Elaine. Thank you for all the work that you do. And thank you for coming on. We really appreciate it. We really do. Thank you so much. All right, young ladies, and thank you for having me. No problem.
Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Yo, The Lower Bottoms, Episode 7. Repercussions Beyond the Pale. Yeah, uh-huh. Will Packer, executive producer. James Lopez, executive producer. <laughs> Look at here. Jack Levy, executive producer and director. Let's go. Dominique Mouton, you know. Creator and writer, producer. Love you, baby. You dig? Hello, hello. Uh, Whitney Fuller, creative executive. Michael Keyberg, co-producer. Terrell Alexis, recording mixer. Sound design. Ross Davis, audio consultant. Music supervisor, Jeff Forster. Music by Def Jeff, what up boy? Joe Wolf, Tony Homer, score mongers. Paige Ramsey, production assistant. Julia Rome, production assistant. You dig? <laughs> Main cast now. <laughs> you dig? Hey. Yeah. Annie Alonza plays Beulah. Elaine Brown playing as Elaine Brown. Jaxie Boy as Jennifer. Come on. <laughs> you dig? Yeah. 
Robbie Jarvis, Owen Edwards, Ryan Destiny, plays Rebecca. You did? Yeah. Zeke Alton, additional voices. Uh huh, uh huh. You did? <laughs> Shouts out. So's a Town business, baby. You know? For real, though. Sound by Podcast Stage. Yeah, this has been a Will Packer Media Production, iHeart Production, and I am that boy Drew Down. The one and only no phony or macaroni the Roman. Let's go. That's a additional voices. <laughs> yeah, one and only. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more.